Welcome to the Kernel DeFi Podcast. My name is Sean DeManta, and I'm here to explore the past, present, and future of the DeFi industry with you. In today's episode, we speak with Helena Merck, CEO and founder of Spirals Protocol, a refi protocol that enables users to support climate projects without giving any money directly. Refi or regenerative finance is an industry looking at how to reverse the trends around negative externality producing capitalism and create economies where activity is net positive to the world and environment, such as carbon credit markets. Spirals protocol is built on the Celo blockchain, a proof of stake layer one blockchain that is carbon negative and is popular among many refi projects. Spirals sits between Celo validators and Spirals users. So when Spirals users stake Celo tokens with Celo validators, their share of block rewards are converted into Spirals tokens that are used to fund climate projects. Right now, these funds are directed by climate experts and scientists to high impact climate projects, but eventually Spirals stakers will receive governance tokens that will allow them to vote on projects to fund. It is still early days, but listeners of the Kernel podcast can get early access to staking on the Spirals protocol. Just listen for a special offer from Helena at the end of the podcast. Now on to the show. Hey, Helena, thanks for joining the Kernel DeFi podcast. Really excited to have you on today. I'd love to start off with better understanding a little bit about your background and what led you to start Spirals. Yeah, and thanks for having me, Sean. Super excited, big fan of Kernel. So quick background, grew up mostly in the Bay Area, taught myself to code when I was like 12 and always been always been building. Uh, I found like software as this like magical way of creating anything out of nothing. Uh, and especially when you can solve a problem with it, it's just like so exciting. And I kind of got like addicted to that kind of like builder's mindset. And the first thing I was like kind of obsessed with building back in high school, I worked on a startup that would help get increased animal adoption rates. And I think really fell in love with like the, the animal welfare space back then. Realized though that selling to animal shelters was not a really good like, business, but, but building it was great. And like, it was very close to my heart. Ended up going to undergrad only for a year before dropping out to join a series A company. That was great. You know, became a better engineer and loved the team. It was wonderful, but really had to go and do my own thing again. And something we were working on on the side ended up turning into a company and we got into Y Combinator and that lasted for the next like three years. It turned into this like video chat tool that helped companies with, you know, the remote team engagement, which during the pandemic was <laughs> a really big pain point. So in February of this year, we decided to sell the company and then since then dove deep into climate. And, you know, it started very much from like a first principles perspective of like, you know, where are the biggest levers in, you know, solving the climate disaster and kind of the things that kept coming down to was, you know, going into or building some kind of deep tech company. And neither of these two was really something I was too keen on doing. So I started exploring, you know, where are the other levers that one can push and carbon markets were like really, really interesting. And I started like fixating on that and tried to map out the whole ecosystem and realize like, hey, there's problem after problem after problem everything from like, you know, the, the carbon credit unit being kind of flawed to, you know, coordination issues to double count. And as a builder, I love problems because that means I can go and like try to solve them and then kind of land it in, you know, in this like refi climate crypto space through that, just by realizing like, actually this is like a really interesting like 
set of tools that, that can help solve, you know, this underlying problem we're looking at. Yeah. So that, that's the, the refi industry is very incipient, very interesting in terms of the overall web three industry. And I'm curious if you could help the audience better understand what is refi and understand that's an abbreviation for regenerative finance mm -hmm. in the context of web three. And also, would you be able to explain some of the projects you're most excited about in the refi space as well? Yeah. So refi super exciting. I mean, at a high level, it's really leading into this idea of like regenerative, like what is a system that the more it's used, the more positive externalities it has. And that's in direct opposition to kind of what we have now with like, you know, capitalism or like the current form of capitalism where like, you know, the more the system is used, the more like resources are depleted and like extracted and we like strip away all value and return it to shareholders. So what would a world look like where rather than like money being pulled out of the system and returned to shareholders, it's instead kind of getting feeded directly back into the system. And climate is like one use case for like a regenerative system, but you can think about this for all other sorts of things. And what I get really excited by is thinking about, you know, what are the externalities of capitalism, essentially figuring out interesting ways of like tokenizing them for the purpose of embedding them into the true cost of production. And for climate, the unit for a lot of this right now is the carbon credit, which, you know, feels too narrow for, for a lot of the different like externalities we have. Like it's not the only greenhouse gas we can prevent and it's like not the only way of like, abating a climate disaster, but it's a good starting point because there are existing like legacy markets for, for carbon credits. So if we can start adding like a really lightweight, like carbon tax to every protocol in web three, cool. Like it'll just kind of be built on like rails of good. In terms of some of the projects I'm most excited by, there's. I guess like a few different categories of projects. There's ones that are bridging from legacy registries on chain. The goal of that is to, you know, increase transparency and increase liquidity. And um, for those, like both Flow Carbon and Toucan are like taking really interesting approaches. And yeah, we have, uh, we have Dana on the podcast actually next week. So great. Yeah, they have a great team. And the founder of Toucan is actually a member of the kernel community as well. So definitely excited by those projects as well, but go on, sorry to interrupt. No, I mean, they're, they're fantastic projects, which is like why we're like excited to like work with them and kind of like co-collaborate and like design out what like the future of like a regenerative world might look like. But for those to work, you know, they're tapping into all sorts of other projects that are, you know, potentially like tokenizing things on other registries. So like right now, both Toucan and Flow are, you know, working very closely with like Vera, but like, that's just like one of the things that can feed into it, right? Like they can in theory, support all different types of standards and then create interesting token pools once you're on like the blockchain side of the world. So that's something we're really interested in exploring. And then groups like, you know, Solid World are focusing primarily on like forward markets. And like, I think there's this entire shift or I guess I would even argue like a consensus in like the refi space that all of like what's exciting is actually working in futures and in forward contracts because then we can fund new project development rather than just kind of like moving this token around in a circle, which actually doesn't do any good. You know, I think like being able to finance new action being done is more powerful than like shuffling a token around that signifies work that's already done. All right. And where does Spirals fit into this whole ecosystem? If you could just give an overview of what Spirals is, how does it fit into this, at least this incipient carbon credit blockchain ecosystem? And then also 
would love to dive deeper. Maybe I'll ask that in a second question about why you decided to build on Celo to start off with and the benefits that has. Yeah. So what are we doing at Spirals? You can kind of think of it as like two different parts of the business. There's the a, a means to generating funds and yield and building a treasury. And then actually like our proof of impact kind of machine behind the scenes. And the way we kind of designed this proof of impact system, a proof of like climate impact is we have like two different sides of it. One is like the project selection side. We have like a committee of scientists that can like essentially whitelist various projects. So they have the authority to like approve, hey, this project is legitimate. They, you know, we've gone and done tests and the science checks out because I'm not a climate expert and it should be decentralized, right? So like all of that's transparent and they get added and removed. But then the funding is separate from that. And we think that's super important to kind of prevent like collusion in like scientists potentially like adding their own projects and that kind of stuff. And that part gets kind of determined by all of the kind of holders of our governance token. When it receives these governance tokens, when yield is contributed to the treasury through the, using our protocols. And right now we've built like a super lightweight um, kind of staking protocol where individuals and DAOs can stake and forfeit their yield. And that goes directly kind of into this impact machine. And then any contributor gets like an impact page. And on chain, everyone can see like, wow, like they've done all this good. They've done like 10X of the equivalent of offset in the footprint and we can help make that transparent. And we think this is an exciting kind of wedge to be in because everything that drives, you know, the voluntary carbon market at least is like being driven by consumer demand, right? So like we on the ground are pressuring like, you know, Amazon and Stripe to like be better companies. And that means that for that strategy to work, they have to be able to show this as like a badge of honor. And right now that's really, really hard because a consumer cannot go and ever check, you know, how are they actually spending this money? Where is it going? Where is it flowing? Who's real? Who's not? And so a big part of what we're kind of building out is this like, you know, helping promote all the good that's happening and making it like verifiable and authentic while also like, you know, doing good sourcing and vetting ourselves. I wanted to revisit one area of the market you talked about in terms of future forward contracts. And would you mind explaining how that works and like why that's so exciting to you compared to the current market, which you mentioned is really just trading tokens among existing players? Yeah, totally. So I think one thing to like double tap on with the existing market is because it's being driven by like for-profit entities that have financial duty to maximize their like financial rewards, they are now like fiscally incentivized to purchase the cheapest credit that meets the quality threshold that's available, right? So they're all gonna put money into, you know, reforestation credits that maybe cost $4 a pop. That means that we're not able to fund things that cost like $1,000, such as financing new like direct air capture technology. We've seen companies like Stripe and Shopify and Microsoft like invest essentially, or like not invest for equity, just like, invest in the future, invest in the planet by financing these more out there projects in order to get the price down. But to do that, you know, we need to reframe the conversation from this like weird carbon accounting game into, into impact and into, you know, does, and, and part of that is like this like sliding scale. It doesn't make sense to do things now or invest in like, you know, what we'll need five years from now. And I think there's no real right answer. I think we need to do it all. But in terms of operating in like the futures market versus operating in, in the now, there's actually more demand than supply right now for those affordable high quality credits. 
in order to play in the affordable credit space, the best levers you can push are being able to provide liquidity to increase supply. So if you can go and finance a lot more forestry development for the next decade, we can actually start those projects now rather than the current marketplace, which is just like super, super bottlenecked. You can think of like that like sales cycle is, is really, really slow because developers on the ground, like they don't know if there's a buyer on the other end. So imagine you have like a plot of land, you're trying to grow some trees and you hear that, hey, there's this like carbon market out there. You can plant some trees and then you can pay this like, you can, you can generate a credit somehow out of thin air and, and sell that. And you as this like landowner need to go finance this. So you go to like a bank and you try to convince them that like, hey, someone's out there, they're gonna buy it when it's ready. And that's like an uphill battle, especially since we, for the most part, like made up this market. Like there, there's no, like we, we've made up the entire voluntary credit market and we all have agreed for the most part to play by the same rules, but it makes it like really like an interesting, interesting playing field. So if there's an easier way of just like providing like liquidity for these developers, we can speed up the cycle of like doing more things. So that's one example of like these like forward contracts. It's like, you know, you pay a developer now to do the thing. And then in the future, you know, you can get that carbon credit. And as a business, there's an opportunity there to kind of gain on the risk, right? So you buy these contracts at a discount and then you can even sell the credit or retire it, but it's, it's essentially like cheaper to get the credit. You just have to like wait. Then the second type is like investing into like R&D and figuring out how do you capture value on, you know, being early in helping bring down the cost of something. Because if you're buying this like $1,000 carbon credit right now, in theory, you know, you should get rewarded for that, whether it's from like a, like a brand or a store perspective or some other way, but being able to like factor in like, Hey, I, I helped bring down the cost. Like that itself has value. And right now that's like for the most part being ignored. So a lot of opportunities for builders out there, especially when it comes to the futures and forward contract market. If we go back to a comment you mentioned in terms of the market's really focused on carbon credits right now, and that's where a lot of the activity is. Are there other negative externality markets that have started to form or that you think should start to form? Like, is there a methane credit market or, 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 or some equivalent of those negative externalities so that we can start to more comprehensively capture a lot of the externalities that we're, we're trying to prevent or mitigate? That's a great question. I think those are, we're seeing like starts of it, which is super exciting. I was just speaking with somebody working on like a water credit and I was like, what does that mean? Like ocean-based carbon? And it turns out like, no, those are two separate categories, right? So you have, you can grow like kelp in the ocean and that's still like a carbon credit. And then you have water credits, which again, we're making all of this up as we go. But <laughs> so water credits, meaning like, you know, a clean way of desalinating water with like solar power, right? And there's people buying this, right? There's like companies in like, you know, California, where we're like constantly in a drought, paying water credits to offset their water usage. And that's interesting. Like that's, that's like super cool that we're like at this point in history where companies are actually like doing the right thing, even if it's for optics, right? And it's like, if we can help storytell companies that are doing good, more companies will do good. And that's a hypothesis, but I'm willing to kind of believe it until proven wrong. So that one's interesting. You mentioned methane. Methane's actually really interesting as well because it's being lumped under the carbon credit. So there's this like greenhouse gas conversion, which lumps other greenhouse gases into 
a carbon credit. So the unit, a lot of people abbreviate it to like TCO2, which is like tons of CO2. But in reality, what it is, like what people are usually like referring to is MTCO2E, metric tons of CO2 equivalents. And that, that E, when you see that, it's it's really referring to like, like the equivalent conversion. Like let's say you have like a methane and, and how that multiplies is not everyone has agreed on numbers, but, but uh, methane is tricky because pulling methane out of the atmosphere, is actually not that helpful for methane because of how long it stays in the air. It matters a lot more to not emit it. So for that one, we're focusing on like reducing methane emissions, but for CO2, the conversation is often about like actual just like drawdown rather than avoidance credits. Got it. Yeah. That, that there seems like there's a lot of opportunity for innovation there. And then Thanks for explaining about the equivalent aspect of it as well, so that people are trying to translate some of these externalities into the carbon equivalent, because that's the market norm for how people trade on this uh, in this externality market. Yeah, there's no like conversion. I mean, if somebody were to go build this, it's just like a big like political nightmare because you have to figure out how do you align everyone's like personal values around like oh one ton of like methane prevented from being emitted to like a ton of CO2 from forestry or a ton of CO2 from, you know, regenerative agriculture. And for CO2 itself, you know, a lot of the value can be kind of gauged from the permanence, like how long is it actually staying in the ground from like, but, but yeah, so there's no, there's no good wrapper around all of this for it to be used as like a, a climate currency yet. And, you know, maybe we'll, there'll be some kind of like decentralized marketplace for, collectively agreeing on that. I don't know, but it doesn't exist yet. Going back to spirals, could we dive a little deeper into understanding how spiral validators work and how people participate? So my, correct me if I'm wrong, but my basic understanding is that if you own any cello, you can stake it using the spirals protocol and you get some sort of spirals token emission, which is the governance token by which you can use to vote on these climate projects. Is that a fair explanation of how it works? Yeah, more or less. I think one thing that I'll clarify for the audience is when people talk about staking, I think their minds go to all sorts of things from like liquid staking to like, I don't know, staking your clima or, or whatever you might be doing out there. We're just very core, like layer one staking, right? So looking at like the native token of the blockchain and right now we're on Celo, but you know, we're planning to expand like relatively quickly. And when you stake with an L1, you're just like locking up your tokens with the validator, assuming it's a proof of stake blockchain. And that work is, you know, signaling trust to the underlying validator and they do the block signing, they earn block rewards and they share that block reward with everybody that's staking. So we kind of sit between the person that's, or the entity that's staking with the validator and the validator itself and kind of on the way back where the validator is sharing the block rewards with the staker, we kind of intercept that and put that directly into this like climate impact machine. And right now, you know, it's a super simple interface. Like you have to give up hundred percent of your yield. Like don't worry, soon you'll be able to like slide on a little sliding scale and, and decide yourself if you want to forfeit 50% of it or 25% because we do think, you know, you deserve some yield if you want it. It's, it's not an all or nothing kind of game. If you're able to share, what are some of the other L1 POS chains that you're considering adding to the spirals protocol validator list. 
Yeah, so I think for us, and actually this goes back to your earlier question of, of why Celo. We're really looking to like align with blockchains that, that share the mission around, you know, building regenerative infrastructure and like a more regenerative economy overall. And Celo for that was like the obvious choice. Like they're the home of like refi summer and they've been the first like carbon neutral or carbon negative actually like blockchain and the team is amazing. I think we're also seeing a lot of like climate companies building on Celo itself, which is neat. The next one that we're really excited to work on is Polygon, both because of like, you know, it being carbon neutral, but also because of, you know, the other activity of like other climate projects built on Polygon. But the next obvious one is, is ETH2, you know, the merge is coming. I heard we just announced the date, which is exciting. What a, what a day. One, I guess, big caveat on like ETH2 is that, you know, the, it doesn't have like a delegated proof of stake model, which we don't have to go into, but just like a slightly different way of like staking. So we'd have to like modify the protocol, but that part's relatively straightforward. I'm, I'm, I'd love to dive into better understanding who is, who is participating with spirals now? Like what, what, what motivates these individuals to take part? Is it because they are incredibly focused on climate impact and they're very refi friendly users and stakers? Is it, is it something else that's compelling them to take part in the spirals ecosystem. Yeah, so we actually have a lot of exciting partnership announcements coming. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil those. But it's like a combination of a few different players. I mean you have the individuals who just, you know, want to be able to do something good passively. Right. So you can think of it as like a if you're an individual like retail investor or something, treat it as like a green savings account. Right. You park your money with us and like we're doing impact behind the scenes. You don't have to worry. Like you know you're doing good. And even just I think we, we just ran the numbers, even just taking 5,400 cello is like doing the equivalent of offsetting your footprint for the year. It's like, cool. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to pay this like monthly subscription. to like offset your footprint. It's just done. That's a neat value proposition. Super easy. Then you have like the next tier of, of stakers who might be like DAOs or like large protocols. A DAO could stake with us and depending on the size of the treasury, like probably offset on behalf of all of their DAO members just by parking their treasury through our protocol. That's pretty neat. And then you can also have like a protocol that might have, you know, some kind of like real world like aspects. So like, let's say they're doing some kind of like shipping and they facilitate something for that. Part of that protocol could be, you know, sending like, like a climate fee to us. And then we can help brand them as like a climate focused protocol and, and co-brand there. Then you have groups that themselves are in the climate space. So like, let's say they create their own kind of eco credit or like carbon credit or something like that. They likely have a treasury. They can stake that treasury with us and we can work on getting their project. Like we, we can't promise it getting approved, but we can definitely get it posed to go through kind of the review committee. So if you're like a climate project that has some kind of credit, we'd love to work with you, stake with us. And then you get voting power and helping to direct some of the yield towards your own project. Right. So we can kind of sit at the center of creating this like evergreen funding cycle into high impact projects. So a lot of opportunities for participation. One thing I read in, I think it was one of your medium articles is that there was plans for further decentralization of the climate review committee and others. And I know that there's a way for spiral stakers to actually participate in the, the, the decision-making process, but I'm, I'm curious as well, if you could lay out what that looks like over the next few months or years. Yeah. So right now, you know, we have, we have people in Dallas like actively staking and we're not giving them like, there's no governance being issued to them yet. And there's like a future promise of, you know, they will get governance and 
before any like funding is deployed towards climate projects, you know, that governments will be issued and they get to vote. Right now, we need to build up enough in our treasury to like actually make a meaningful contribution to a project. And that governance token will kind of be the same one that's used to elect this climate committee. Currently, it's individuals that, you know, we've, we've spoken with and built relationships with and sourced, and we've elected them, right? And in the future, it shouldn't just be like the core spirals team electing the scientific reviewers. And instead, it'll be like the community, you know, running elections to figure out who actually has the right like credentials and qualifications to like decide if a project is, is good enough from an impact perspective. Got it. So the, 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 the eventual turning of it, it will this turn spirals the, the token into a governance token effectively? Is yeah. that the thought? Okay. Got it. And then from there, then people will be able to probably delegate that to a representative on the climate review committee, who's going to be the steward of these decisions on behalf of that token holder. Exactly. Yeah. And then that way, you know, it hopefully just bumps this like impact machine. And our goal is really to just like plug ourselves into various protocols and battles around the, the world, the crypto land. And so that everything is just like kind of regenerative by design and, and users who are sending, you know, cello from Walden wallet to the next, like don't have to think about, you know, are they doing the right thing? Because it's just the system is like regenerative by design. And I think that's like, honestly, like what excited me a lot about building on chain is like, if we tweak like the incentives at like the core layer, like we can build something that's like magical and we don't have to rely on like people going out of their way to the right thing. Like right now, if you're trying to be like a conscious consumer, it's impossible. Like try to live a life without plastic. And, and you'll realize like, there's just no way it's a system problem. And we have the opportunity here to like solve a system problem. And I don't know, that's just like the most exciting thing in the world to me. Where, where do you think there's an imbalance today in the, in the market that you're you're creating? Is it more on the the retail investor side, like getting enough retail investors excited by this and investing their cello and other proof of stake blockchains into validate or staking those into the spirals protocol? Is it on the like climate project side, or there are not enough climate projects out there? Is it on the company side, not focusing enough on these negative externalities? Where where is the imbalance? Is it or is it in all of these areas? And I, I, I suppose what I'm really trying to ask is like, if you were to prioritize growing one of those areas, like what would you say is, should be the major focus? I think, okay, so at a high level, like when here's thrown out a lot, like there's more demand than supply, like we need more supply. And there's like a lot of nuance in that statement. There's a lot more demand than supply for the affordable high, like mid-tier, barely scraping by quality credits. There's like no demand for the really, really expensive credits. And then there's like all this mumble, like mumbo jumbo in the middle that lacks good verification standards and newer methodologies that aren't recognized yet. And like, if, if you're like a company or, you know, Web3 DAO or whatever, like trying to prove that you're making climate impact, like it ends up being really, really hard because let's say you're a newcomer, you're only going to buy what like other leaders in the space have bought, especially if like you're maybe not like the CEO of a company, right? Like you want to make sure that your boss is happy with your purchase. So you're going to do what every other company is doing. And that means doing something different comes with a lot of risk and you're not going to do it. So if one can more easily prove the impact of these like mid like tier, essentially carbon credits and newer methodologies, that's important. So like MRV essentially is like, super, super important. And it's 
too expensive right now. I like going and like verifying that work was done in the right way ends up being frustratingly important to being able to sell it. Even though like, I wish we could just make a statement and say like, yeah, we know this will work. Let's fund it. But no one's going to take that risk. And, and that's, that's hard. So I think, yeah, I think it's all about, can you create this like proof of impact, which is why like we want to sit at this point of like increasing the, you know, the throughput of approval of new methodologies and processes and, you know, recruiting the brightest minds and the brightest scientists to like help do that in a decentralized way. And then allowing anybody to participate in that market. And whether it's like the, the current market or the futures market, just yeah, increasing throughput of like new project review. I wanted to take a industry perspective as well and understand how the the carbon credit markets and the other markets that you're playing a role in in terms of climate impact are impacted by perhaps some of the mixed reviews around ESG investing that have happened over the last couple of years or so. I, I think there's been a report out there that ESG investing actually hasn't been that profitable for retail investors. And sometimes ESG classification itself hasn't been incredibly reflective of environmentally responsible companies. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'd love to learn a bit more about how you place the markets you operate in in context of ESG and where you might be able to shift the narrative to perhaps a more productive and effective means of impacting climate change? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I think there's a few things I think that are relevant to kind of bring up. One is that even the last year of like carbon markets has looked very different than ever before, right? So it's like, you know, even if we like stuck with the current like ESG investing model, there, you know, I think is room to argue it could improve given just like the inflection point we're all with the climate crisis. Like it is becoming more of a concern. Companies are spending more than ever before. And like, we're seeing, you know, coalitions like, like Frontier, you know, like all like, like massive companies coming together and like making this massive commitment to, to climate impact. That's new. So if there was ever a time where ESG investing would work, it's probably now. But that said, I think a lot of that lacks the, you know, transparency and, and verifiability and credibility that like we can do with like doing this purely on trend. So trying to kind of do things in like a very different way, like a very like direct way, rather than like investing even in like, you know, a company that's like theoretically doing good, like you no know, directly just like putting funding into you know the unit underneath the hood. Now for the builders out there who want to understand how to build a, a company in the refi space, what advice would you have to them to get started? And I, I want to tackle this from two different perspectives. One, mm -hmm. from Web2 builders who made the leap to becoming a Web3 builder, such as yourself. And then two, specifically building in the refi space. And I, I think they would really benefit from understanding your perspective and advice because we have a lot of builders in our audience. Yes, I love builders. We need more builders. I think if there's anything I've seen in the refi space is like, it's a lot of people who have their heart in the right place. A lot of people who come from like a climate background, but like a big gap in builders. And I think it's just because like a lot of people from like a software background, like aren't as exposed to the problems of climate. And that's like changing now. And that's super exciting. So come join the refi bandwagon, take the green pill. I think the, the first thing I'd recommend is like, go read green pill. It's, it's a really good book that helps me kind of rethink about how to build like regenerative systems and 
you know, impact DAOs, then I'd say join ReFiDAO. Uh, so ReFiDAO is a collection of like founders in ReFi. And I'm actually just starting the, the Cello Builder Circle. It starts in like a week or two, and it's going to be like a 10 week cohort where we meet every week and basically give each other feedback and set goals and like, and like launch. And our goal is to really help, you know, builders go from zero to one on Cello and launch their ReFi projects. And if you're just getting started, like that's totally cool. We do ask though that it's like your full-time commitment. Um, so that's like a small plug for, for refi now. It's super fun community. It definitely helped me when I was first getting started. And then get on Twitter. One piece of advice though, I think I, I made this mistake where you just kind of get overwhelmed by everything that's happening rather than like a breadth first search approach, like go depth first and just find like a small, tiny niche. We're seeing a lot of projects try to do it all. and. In the history of startups, that's like never been a good plan. Like do one, one, like one tiny thing really, really well. And you'll notice like with our product, like, I don't know, you can, I can onboard you to the demo if you reach out to me, but it's like one tiny widget you stake and you're done and, and that's it. Like start small and then build from there. Even if you have these like grand plans down the line. Building on that, what, what do you, what do you think the DNA of a successful refi startup team looks like? Ooh. The DNA of a successful refi startup. You definitely want builders. Like you don't have to necessarily have like a blockchain expert on your team, but technical people who can like build an MVP. I see a lot of like refi companies at the stage where maybe they have co-founders and neither of them is technical and they're trying to raise money so that they can hire a contractor. And I think this isn't necessarily like, like a refi specific thing, but like you want a core team that can build and execute on like the original like the tiniest MVP of your product and like test that hypothesis. It would be good if people on your team care about the planet. And I guess the extent to the knowledge should be, you know, reflective of the type of refi company you're trying to build. So if you are doing something directly related to like, you know, remote monitoring of something and moving that on chain through oracles, I don't know what you're planning, but you should probably know how like the stuff in the ground works. So I think it's like, you know, having domain expertise in in the vertical of refi you're going after and acknowledging that like refi is like a very large overarching term going everywhere from, you know, demand to you know, tokenization all the way down to like, you know, the supply side. Are there any mistakes or failures you made early on that you'd be willing to share that other builders may be able to avoid from your wisdom of? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's, if it's wisdom, but. I think there's like two, there's, there's so many mistakes I've made and it's okay. I think the first mistake wasn't even in refi. It was like, as I was first, like starting to build stuff, you know, the, so I had, you know, dropped out of college, was working at the startup and working on my own thing on the side. And we got into YC and I was like high on life. Like, oh, this was my dream since I was a kid. You know, it's the best thing ever. I've made it done. <laughs> so then we, we have our first meeting with our like YC partner. And he sits us down. He's like, my co-founder at the time, his name was Brian. He's like, like Helen and Brian, like this is the worst idea ever. Like this is like the most applied with idea to Y Combinator ever. And I just like look him dead in the eyes. Like, why the hell are we here? Like, why did you accept us into the batch? And the response was really that like, they believed in us as founders. They loved our energy, but like this idea was crap. And at first we didn't believe them. And I was like, two big learnings there. It's like one, like, when somebody tells you like this idea has been tried like tens of thousands of times, like you should go try and talk to the people who've tried it. They will, they will make it super clear like why it doesn't work. 
in for context like the thing we started was this like platform that helped college students meet one-on-one and like that's that is like legitimately like the most common idea coming out of like undergrads and if you're out there trying to build it like sure go do it there's reasons it doesn't work and again happy to talk about those so that was like one thing i don't think the mistake was like not listening the mistake was like like i think not looking at like failures of exactly the same idea or like not having enough like live experience and, and whatnot so that was that was one and i think a similar one in that we didn't end up building ever was like like the consumer approach to building like like a i think i've seen this in like refi in particular like a lot of people building like a climate friendly wallet like i just haven't seen any of those work and a bunch of people have tried that said like the fact that it's climate friendly like shouldn't discount it it's just launching in yet another wallet right now makes no sense at all and the 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 climate friendly angle isn't strong enough and that's like one just like one to throw out there like that's the first like refi idea everybody comes up with is like let me build like a carbon friendly wallet and i'm sure we'll have one at some point and i'm excited to see it succeed just know that it's a crowded space and like go check out who's building what talk to them first and then then go after what you're doing i think i've seen a few climate friendly wallet pitches and uh, had had similar thoughts <laughs> that that idea has been tried before so what i'm hearing is try not to be a copycat try not to go after a space where there's been a thousand failures already at least understanding those failures and uh, really building some something people want if you don't mind me asking i also wanted to get your perspective on how if there are any women builders out there prospective women builders out there how do they approach the web3 space in a in a more approachable way sometimes it feels like uh, in speaking with women builders that it's sometimes unapproachable it's very much a testosterone testosterone driven <laughs> industry young men driving driving this industry and do you have any advice specifically to women builders or potential women women builders yeah great question i think part of the reason it took me honestly so long to get into this crazy crypto world was because all i saw whether it was from Twitter or my friends was like DGENs aping into like, I don't know, NFTs and like wasting money. And I was like, this makes no sense. Like, I don't want like my identity tied to this world. And like in hindsight, like that's a silly reason to not like at least explore because, you know, I don't know, video streaming got good because of porn and like the internet wasn't built for all the amazing use cases we have now. You know, it, it got good for bad reasons and just because it's being used for something that you may not like align with personally doesn't mean it doesn't have like really good potential for building amazing tools and companies and, and products. So my friend called me out on that and I was like, all right, you know, maybe uh, let me at least like not be so close-minded. Like I feel like I typically pride myself on like being very open-minded and realize like, actually I had like shut out this entire industry because of like this misconception of it. So that was, I think, interesting, trying to like reframe the narrative around a lot of like the, the blockchain ecosystem. We just hosted our first actually event with Cello at their office in San Francisco, and it was an art night. You know, we came together and we painted and we just tweeted about it so you can go check it out. But like, it was, I think the first like crypto event where I felt like my kind of people were there rather than like yet another like happy hour where I'm the only woman. Um, so you know, join an ecosystem where people are trying to build a better and newer economy. And Cello has, you know, been that for us. I haven't seen that on, on other chains as much, to be honest, but I'm sure it will exist. You know, the original like values that went into like a lot of blockchain 
are so different than you know what the media presents like if you go read like you know calix like blog posts like that is the kind of world i want to align with not like aping into like various nft projects i i i totally agree with that i i think i I saw that event on Wednesday night. Unfortunately, I could not make it, but that looked like one of the most unique crypto events I've seen in a long time <laughs> in terms of painting. And I, 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 I'm sad I missed out on that, but hoping, hoping you'll be able to foster more of those events and, and activities. For we'll both. do a lot more. Yes. And we'll see you there. I, I wanted to wrap up by asking if you have any ask for our audience in terms of either engaging with spirals or otherwise, or also curious if there's any a good way for the audience to connect with you if if you have any preferred methods. Yeah, I'm, I'm most active on Twitter. It's just my name, Helena Merck, M-E-R-K, and happy to kind of guide you through your refi journey. I've been like collecting a lot of resources. I can send you stuff. But as I mentioned, like, you know, Green Pill is a great place to get started. Find me on ReFiDAO. If you are interested in building on Celo, like I mentioned, like the Celo Circle is starting soon. We'll send up applications and hope to see you there. In terms of spirals the demo is currently in a private beta but if you ping me that you found me through the kernel podcast like i'll kind of bump you to the top of the list and, and we'll get you started all right there a special perk for our listeners thank you helena really appreciate you being on the podcast and learning all about spirals carbon credit markets and everything else thank you so much Sean. this was wonderful <laughs>